pray for the hearts of each one of us here today. You know our needs and our burdens, the cares that we have. I pray, Father, for a special outpouring of your spirit today. I pray, Lord, today for a special touch upon Brother Randy with the loss of his uncle. and glad that he knew you as his Savior and uh, is there with you today. I think also of Brother Ron King and his mom and with the homegoing of of Cheryl and Lord we pray for your mercy to be poured out Lord I pray for those that do not know Jesus as their Savior what a wonderful Savior to know I'm so glad that I'm saved and I pray Lord that if they don't know Jesus and know the peace and the joy that he gives that they'd put their trust and faith in him today and Lord receive the wonderful gift of eternal life Lord I pray that you give me your words today and Lord, we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. A man wanted a yacht, but he knew nothing of sailing. His wife was kind of nervous about the purchase, and the man went ahead and, and he reassured her that, you know, he could learn how to, how to use the, the boat and handle the boat successfully. And he said, if I just practice, I'll practice in the harbor, and I'll find out where all the rocks are, I'll find out where all the reefs are, and I'll study before I go out into the open sea. So he practiced for weeks in the harbor. He tested, and he, and he got a chance to know where the different rocks and the different things were. And finally, he talked his wife, his nervous wife, into taking a ride with him in the boat. She gingerly stepped on board, and, and they uh, started out into the harbor, and he tried to set her mind at ease. He says, now, honey, I've practiced enough. I know where every rock is. I know where every reef is. And I know where every sandbar is. And about that time, he heard a scratching on the stern of the ship. And he sheepishly 
looked at his wife and he says, well, there's one of those rocks that we're going by right now. He was trying to fool her. He thought that, you know, he had wisdom in those areas. You know, uh, he was trying to hide his lack of wisdom. We all like to think that we're wise individuals, don't we? There is a difference between intelligence and wisdom. The story is told of a minister, a boy scout, and a, a computer expert. They were the only passengers on a small plane. The pilot of the plane, after a little while in the air, came back to the passengers and he told the uh, passengers that the plane was going to go down, but there were only three parachutes and there were four passengers. The pilot added, I should have one of the parachutes because I have a wife and three small children. So he took one of the, the parachutes and he jumped out. The computer whiz said, you know, I should have one of the parachutes because I am the smartest man in the world and everyone needs me. So he took one of the parachutes and he jumped out. The minister looked at the young boy and with kind of a sad look on his face and he said, son, you take the, the parachute. You know, I've lived, a, I've lived a rich life and you're a young man and so you take the parachute. The, the, uh, the Boy Scout said, relax, reverend. The smartest man in the world just picked up my knapsack and jumped out. <laughs> Folks, you know, we need wisdom, don't we? Here's some thoughts about wisdom. Charles Swindoll once said, Knowledge is a rare trait of learning, perception, discovering, and growing. Understanding is a skill to respond with insight. Wisdom is the ability to see with discernment to view life as God perceives it. That's wisdom. Someone remarked that a wise man learns from the mistakes of others. No one lives long enough to make all of them himself. Someone else said a wise man learns by the experience of others. An ordinary man learns by his own experience and a fool learns by nobody's experience. People say, well, you know what? That'll never happen to me. Theodore Levitt uh, of Harvard Business School made the following observation. Experience comes from what we have done. Wisdom comes from that we have done badly. You learn by the mistakes of life. I was thinking of Edison, and when he was trying to invent the light bulb, they said he did 10,000 experiments that had failed before he finally got it right. In fact, he had a, it was in a second-story building, and he uh, had the, the, the failures. He just, when it failed, he would just throw it out the window, and it was up to the second-story window uh, before he finally got it all right. I like what this person said. He says, you don't have to be listed in the who's who to know what's what. You can have wisdom. We call it common sense today, don't we? But wisdom is different than even common sense because wisdom is seeing things from God's perspective. The Lord places a high value on the price of wisdom. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13. Proverbs chapter 3, you're in chapter 10, just go over a couple of chapters, to Proverbs chapter 3 and verse number 13. Proverbs 3, 13, it says, Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. 
For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than of fine gold. She is more precious than in rubies, and all the things that thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Folks, God puts a, a great price on wisdom. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 states, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. We all would like to think that we're wise people making wise choices. The Bible gives three characteristics in the book of Proverbs of people who are wise. We need to ask ourselves the question today, am I a wise son or daughter? Am I making wise choices in life? And how can I tell the difference? Do I make my heavenly father glad with me? You say, well, pastor, I'm a child of God, so I make God happy, you know, just by being me. No, not necessarily so. Just like when your children don't make wise choices, it doesn't always please you. But when we make wise choices, godly choices, it pleases our Heavenly Father. Notice, if you would, in, back in Proverbs chapter, chapter 13, verse number 1. Go back there to Proverbs 13, verse number 1. Notice what it says. As we notice our first point, a wise son hears the instruction of his father. A wise son heareth his father's instruction, but a scorner heareth not rebuke. The wise is contrast to a scorner. A scorner is a person who mocks, who ridicules. And so here we say that the, the scorner heareth not uh, the, the implicate, uh, the, the scorner does not hear instruction. But a wise son, a wise daughter, will hear the instruction of the father. That word heareth means to hear, to listen, to obey. If I'm a wise son or I'm a wise daughter, may I share with you that you hear, you obey what your father says. You listen. That instruction is the idea of discipline, chastening, and correction. A wise son has a heart to that is willing to listen to what his father has to say, whether it be to help to teach him discipline. You say, well, pastor, uh, discipline. I don't like discipline. See, discipline is good for us. Uh, discipline is uh, learning, for example, as students, that you have to get up at a certain time so that you could be at school and so that you would study, and those are all called disciplines. Parents, we have disciplines, don't we? A discipline, you have to get up and you have to get yourself ready and you have to go to work and you have to be at work a certain time. That's called discipline. Uh, you know, Pastor, I, I like that discipline at being at the end of the day and I hear that bell and I'm gone. Uh, you say, what do you like most about school? Well, uh, recess and lunch. Uh, you don't have to be disciplined much on those, do you? Because it's, it's your free time. But discipline of studying and spending time. Hey, folks, there's a discipline about reading the Word of God and praying. There's a discipline. Knowing that we need to do that, and we do that because we have disciplined ourselves. And the Bible says whether, uh, whether the Father teaches the Son discipline, to be disciplined, or to chasten, or to correct. I don't know, do you like to be corrected? Well, it's good if we're going the wrong way. But I, let me just give you an example. 
Husbands, how many of you ever had your wife say, there's the turnoff. You should have turned off right there. You say, I'm a man. I don't, need to, I don't need maps and I don't need GPS. Can I tell you something? It's good to listen. Guys, can I tell you something? It's good to listen to your wife. Your wife will help you. God says that your wife is a helpmeet. She's a completer. A completer is the idea that you are not complete. You need some help. You say, real men never, we, we got it all covered. No, you don't. If you did, God wouldn't have created Eve. Okay? Contrary to popular opinion, when people say, well, men can bear, bear children, we can't. God didn't make us that way. God made women to do that. Praise the Lord. Amen? I'm telling you, we were up at camp, and uh, Lindsay is getting ready to have a child in a couple of months. They, you remember Dan Grover and Lindsay, they'd come down and preach down here, and uh, she's getting ready to have a child in a couple of months, and she says, you know what, I'm sick all the time, and she just keeps on going, and I remember my wife being sick and having that morning sickness, and you know, the only thing she could eat was fish sandwiches and Dr. Pepper. Everything else would come up. Those things, you know, goodness, you know, for, for all those months, fish sandwiches and Dr. Pepper. Um, you know, I'd go take her to a nice Mexican restaurant, it wouldn't matter. Uh, it wouldn't stay down, but go get her a fish sandwich and a Dr. Pepper. It was good. And so that's what she lived on. But you know what? God didn't make us all the same. Praise the Lord. We, we need each other. We need uh, these wonderful truths as we look at this. A wise son uh, is one who listens to that discipline, listens to the correction. And wives, can I tell you something? God also gives your husbands for help in that area as well. They help to give you that, that logical mindset. They help you to make choices, and we need each other. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 28. To the right of where you are in Proverbs, go to the book of Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah chapter 28. In Isaiah chapter 28, beginning with verse number 9, it says, Whom shall we teach knowledge? And whom shall we make to understand doctrine or the teaching of God's word, the truth? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. For a precept or truth must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. Building, it's like building blocks. Truth upon truth. It's important for us to understand who, do, who are we to teach wisdom and understanding? Hey, that nursery down there, teaching a Sunday school class, the fours and fives, those, those children that are, that are weaned from the breast. Folks, those need to understand the truth. People say, well, you know what? Just let the children uh, make their own choices. That's not why God gave parents to children. God says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it, Proverbs 22, 6. You and I, we, need, we have a responsibility to train up our children, to teach them what is right and what is godly and the way that God would have them to go. That is our responsibility. And today, people are afraid to do that because children may not like that. They may not like to be corrected. God says that foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. They can't figure that out on their own. They need parents. They need people who have, have lived and had some experience. And folks, may I share with you, as you look at, at our society, we need people today that are willing to stand up and say, this is the right way. Walk ye in it. 
We are to be salt and light in these dark days. And God has called us to a great mission, a great job, a great opportunity to shine for Jesus Christ. We're not to be silent. We're to be uh, bold for the Lord Jesus Christ and be witnesses for Him. Notice, uh, as I said a moment ago, Proverbs chapter 15 and verse number 5. Proverbs 15, verse number 5. Dealing with this idea of a foolish, a foolish person versus a wise. Proverbs 15, verse number 5. He says, A fool despiseth his father's instruction, but he that regardeth reproof is prudent. A fool despises his father's instruction. Now, son, this is what you've got to do. When you put a nail there on that piece of wood, you hold it down here. You don't hold it by the top because when you hit it with a hammer, you're going to hit your finger. Oh, Dad, you can't tell me anything. I'll do it my way. Okay. Wham! All of a sudden, you got one of those big black and blue things. Even when you know how to do it, sometimes you get those black and blue things. Now, son, here's how you hold a nail gun. You don't put this nail gun, you know, don't point it at anybody. Mm. And sometimes you forget, don't you? Even dads forget. And they put their hand where they're not supposed to. And, boy, things don't always go right. You forget. But we need to be trained. We need to be instructed. But the Bible tells us here very clearly that a fool despiseth his father's instruction. But he that regardeth reproof is prudent. Proverbs 15, verse 32, look over there. He that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul. But he that heareth reproof getteth understanding. Folks, when you despise instruction, when you will not listen to somebody trying to teach you, somebody trying to instruct you, you're really despising your own soul, your mind, your emotions, and your will. You're despising yourself. Because that could help you in life. The Word of God is the truth. John 17, verse 17, look over there. Jesus says, makes a, an important statement. John 17, 17. I am so glad that we've got the Bible. I'm so, so glad that I have the Word of God. I don't have to wonder whether this is the Word of God. I believe it from cover to cover. I believe this is the Word of God. People say, well, Pastor, you know, you really can't tell today. Because we've got all these new versions, and they're telling us that it's better. I tell you, folks, this is the Word of God, the King James Version. If you're wondering what version we're using, we're using the King James Version. You say, well, Pastor, we've got all these different uh, visions and isms and spisms and spasms, and, and we've we got all this stuff out here, and, and, and it helps me to know, uh, know so much better. And people come in, and they'll say, Pastor, we're using the NIV, because the NIV is more, you know, it's easier to understand. Well, people who have gone through, and they, they test the complexity of books, and they, there's a certain criteria that they have for ranking books in education-wise, and they come to uh, the King James Version, and it's rated 5th and 6th grade, and NIV is rated 7th and 8th grade. Now, let me see. Which is easier to understand, 5th and 6th grade or 7th and 8th grade? I, know, I think 5th and 6th grade is a little easier to understand. Well, I can't understand all of these and the thous. I guarantee you, well, if you have the Spirit of God and you ask God to help you understand this book, you will understand this book 
and God will open your eyes, and all of a sudden, those things that you had such difficulty understanding, you can understand. I had a Mormon gentleman that I led to the Lord, and he had known a lot of Scripture. I mean, he had studied the Bible, because in Mormonism, they, they, they studied the King James Version. They'll quote the King James Version. The problem was, he didn't have the Spirit of God inside him. Uh, and I said, I told him, I said, well, uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man, the lost man, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. If you're having a problem understanding the Bible, you're having a problem understanding the King James Version, maybe you're not saved. I don't know. I don't know people's hearts. Wouldn't it be great to know uh, if you had a little S that kind of went above your head? You know, all the saved. And if you're a lost, an L would go over top of your head. That'd be easy to win them, try to win them for Christ. But sometimes the people that claim to be saved are lost. And they don't understand the Word of God because... They're lost. They can't understand until the Spirit of God comes to live inside you and all of a sudden the light comes on. And this gentleman, I got a chance to lead him to Christ. It was one of our ladies in our church. She was a hairstylist. This guy would come in and get his hair cut and she was witnessing. Uh, you know, it's always, I always get kind of nervous, you know, when you're under the, under, the, under the blade, you know, getting your hair cut and you never know what you're going to come out with when you're trying to, to talk to people like that. You might come up with a buzz job on one side and a mohawk up there or, or something. And, but this lady, she would just share Christ. She'd share what she knew about the Bible. And she got to a place, he was asking questions. And, uh, I mean, he was an elder in the Mormon church. And uh, he was supposed to know these things. But she asked him questions about, you know, Jesus Christ and who Jesus was and, and all these, these different things about salvation. He couldn't answer the questions. And, 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 and she couldn't answer some of his questions. And she said, you need to go talk to my preacher. And so one day she says, he wants to come and talk with you. Is that okay? Hey, amen. So he came and he sat in and we were just started talking about Jesus Christ, who Jesus was. I said, we got to settle some things first of all. Who is God? How many gods are there? And so we began to look at what the Bible says. We went back to Isaiah chapter 43 through 45, talking about there's only one God. God says, beside me, there is no God. There's only, how many gods does God say there is? There's only one. If there's only one God, then we come into the New Testament and Jesus Christ says, I and my Father are one. And uh, the, the Mormons believe, well, they were one in thought. No, I said, if you just keep on reading, I said the context, the Jews understood exactly who Jesus was claiming to be. He was claiming not that Jesus and the Father, he and the Father were one in mind. No, that they were one. And Because they, they said, you know, uh, he says, why are you getting ready to stone me? He says, because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. They understood exactly what he was claiming. John, 1 John chapter uh, 5, verse 7, there's three of the bear, the bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. I said, what does the Bible teach then? They're all one, there's only one God. I said, now we can go from there. About who Jesus is. He's the Savior of the world. We're all sinners. Went through the plan of salvation. God says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us have done wrong. Every one of us have violated, transgressed, broken the commandments of God. And we need a Savior. And Jesus Christ is the only Savior. He's the only one who can save us from our sins. There, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. 
There's only one Savior. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. You need to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. The penalty of, of death is upon you and was upon me before I was saved. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. I said, and God wants to give you a free gift here today if you'll ask Jesus to come into your heart and save you. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That moment, I said, would you like to ask Jesus to be your Savior? He says, yes, I would. He prayed and he asked Christ to be a Savior. That Wednesday night, I was setting up for Wednesday night service, and he came up. He says, Pastor Walker, I've got a question for you. I said, sure, what, what's that? He says, I've got a portion of the Bible I've been reading. I haven't understood. I've read it over and over and over. I've been reading it for years. I don't understand it. Can you, uh, can you please explain it to me? I said, well, what is the portion? He says, he told me what it was. I said, well, you read it. So he read the portion. As he read the portion of Scripture, I said, so what do you think it means? And he told me what he thought it meant, and he was right. He, I said, you're exactly right. That's exactly what it means. He says, I can't believe it. I've struggled with this all, all this time and didn't understand it, but now all of a sudden, I do. I said, simple, because now you have the Spirit of God living inside you, and you can understand what the Word of God is talking about. How wonderful it is. We've got the Word of God. Here in John 17, 17, it says, uh, sanctify, Jesus is speaking to the disciple, or speaking to the Heavenly Father about the disciples. He says, sanctify them, set them apart through thy truth. Thy word is truth. We are saved positionally. We are sanctified. We are set apart. We belong to the Lord. Praise God. But day by day, we are called to sanctify ourselves to belong to the Lord. I belong to the Lord. My thoughts, my direction, my goals. Sanctify the Lord God in our hearts, the Bible tells us. We're to sanctify the Lord God in my heart. Lord, you are Lord. I'm going to do what you say. I belong to you. I'm no longer my own. I'm bought with a price. I'm going to live for you. There's things that you say that I'm not supposed to think about. There's some, thing, there's some people I'm not supposed to hang around. There's some uh, uh, direction for my life. I don't know what, what you want me to do, but Lord, here's my life. We sing the song, here's my life, let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. What that is is, is a song of dedication, but it's sanctification, being set apart. I belong to God. And folks, may I share with you, if you're a Christian, you're to sanctify yourself on a daily basis. You're to sanctify yourself. You know, as we read and meditate upon the Bible, we are thinking God's thoughts after Him. When you read this book, you start thinking and understanding how God thinks. Look with me, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Second Timothy chapter three and verse number sixteen. All Scripture. This book is called the Scripture, the Scriptures. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God breathed. So, Pastor, what does that mean? God breathed into the apostles 
and the prophets, the ones who were to write the scriptures, he breathed in them what they were supposed to write, and they wrote it. Well, pastor, that sounds like kind of like mechanical dictation. Well, that's kind of what it was. He said, this is what you need to write. Well, he used their style. He used their, their, their style is different. It's not all the same. No, he said, this is how I want you to write it. He used their style, their different direction, but he told them what to write. All scripture, all of it is God breathed. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. That's what is the truth for reproof. That's for that's when we get off base and we need to get back on base for correction. That's how to get right back on base for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect or complete thoroughly furnished unto all good works. God gives us in his word what we need in order to be on track and to live for him. To think his thoughts. He says, I want you to understand this is my word. Listen to my word. The question that we need to ask ourselves is this. Do I have ears which hear the instruction of my heavenly father? A young and successful executive was traveling down a neighborhood and he had just purchased a, a brand new Jaguar. Uh, as he's going down through this neighborhood, he was, he was looking for any little children that might dart out in, in, in his way. So he's kind of going kind of slow and, and, and being very cautious. He's watching for kids darting out. As his car passed a particular area, he didn't see any children, but instead a brick smashed into the Jag's side door. The man throws on his brakes. He goes back to where that brick had hit the side of his car. He jumps out, and there was a kid that was right there, a child that was right there, and he goes and he takes this little boy and he takes him, puts him up by the car, and he says, what are you doing? What, what's your name? What are, why did you do that? It makes no sense. The little boy was kind of shaken with, with his attitude the, the, the man said, man, don't you understand this car is a brand new car? That's going to cost a lot of money. The young boy was apologetic to the man and he said, please, mister, please, I'm sorry, but I didn't know what to do. He said, I, he said, I, I threw the brick because no one else would stop. And he pointed over to the, over to the side of the road over there and he says, I needed some help with my brother. He, he fell off the curb, and, and my brother's in a wheelchair, and I can't lift him up and put him back into, my chair, or into his wheelchair. Would you please help me? The boy was sobbing. He was crying. You know, sometimes you feel like about that tall. The man got up, and he was moved beyond words when he saw his brother who was in a wheelchair. The man got out and he went over to where the boy was and he lifted him up and the boy had been scraped by falling out of the wheelchair onto the pavement and he took his handkerchief and he wiped the, the tears and, and could see that everything was okay. And the other boy that threw the brick, he said, thank you and may God bless you. And the man stood there for a moment as the boy took his brother and they went on down the road in the, in the boy in the wheelchair. He was too shook up for words, the man was, and 
a long walk back to his car. The damage was very noticeable, but the driver never bothered to repair the dent on the side. He kept the dent there to remind him of this message. Don't go through life so fast that someone has to throw a brick at you in order to get your attention. You know, God whispers in our souls and speaks to our hearts. Sometimes we don't have time to listen to him until he throws a brick and gets our attention. Jesus said in Matthew 13, verses 13 through 15, Therefore speak I unto, unto them in parables. He's talking to the nation of Israel. He talked to them in parables. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. He would talk to the people in parables. He says, Because they seen, see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, or Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest at any time that they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Why did Jesus speak to these people, the Israelites, with parables? Oh, they thought they were just nice stories. They were a story, but they had spiritual emphasis. And they missed the spiritual because they had turned their heart away from listening to the Father. They had become, uh, become gross. That word gross means to make thick, to become callous. You know, we can become callous. Can I share with you? You can become callous to the things of God by hearing the truth of God's word over and over. Do you know that? Somebody has put it this way. Familiarity breeds contempt. When you hear truth over and over again, we can have the attitude like this. Oh, I already know that. Can I tell you something? That's a cold heart. That's a callous heart. Folks, we all need to hear. Peter, in 2 Peter, talks about, he says, I'm, I'm preaching to you, I'm sharing these things with you. Though you know them, to remind you to make it fresh and new. The reason we have revival services and we have the time coming with Dr. Getch is to get our minds focused once again back on the things of God and to remember how important it is. Our God is important. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, is important. You say, Pastor, I know that, I know that. Yeah, I hear that every week. Folks, never let that get old. It's a... It's a it's a desire of our heart. to. We ought to have the desire to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says they had closed their, their eyes to the truth. They have closed them. They made the choice. I don't know about you. I love this book. I love when God speaks. I even, I, you know, I loved last week being able to go and hear Brother Joel up at camp preaching some great messages. See, Pastor, you know, uh, He's, he's younger than you. I don't care. This book is true. Man, I need it just like everybody else. I love hearing good preaching. It's good to hear the preaching of God's word. It will encourage you. It will stir you. It'll help you to grow. If we're not careful, we can become hardened 
towards the Word of God and toward God Himself. We can refuse to listen to His words and instruction, His correction and rebuke. Has our heart become callous to the things of God? You know, there are those who have become like stone simply because they have refused to hear the Father's instruction for their life. There's a poem called Molding a Man. It says, I took a piece of plastic clay and idly fashioned it one day. And as my fingers pursued it still, it moved and yielded at my will. It came of age when days were past, and the piece of clay was hard at last. The form I gave it, it still bore, but I could change it no more. It's kind of like how sometimes parents say, well, you know what, I just want to get through life. I don't care about my children, how my children turn out. Just, uh, just let me get through. Here's the next part. I took a piece of living clay and gently formed it day by day and molded it with power and art, a young child's soft and yielding heart. I came again when years were gone. It was a man I looked upon. He still that early impress war, and I could change him nevermore. Oh, to, to mold a life for Jesus Christ. Sunday school teachers, let me just tell you, those that are, are working with the young people and, and bus workers, may I share with you, you have an opportunity to help mold a life. Grandma, grandpa, moms and dads, you have an opportunity right now to change and to mold a life, to encourage them and the right things, to have a desire for godly things. But there's coming a time. There's coming a time when that character is going to be shaped. It was exciting when Karen brought her little granddaughter to, to ask Jesus to be her Savior. She'd been witnessing and talking to her. Boy, it was exciting to be able to lead her to Christ. Investing. Because that little life, early, we can teach them early the things of God, to walk with God and to love God, love the Word of God, love the things of God. Let me ask you, does it take a brick to get your attention? Are you a wise child who listens to your Heavenly Father's instruction? I want you to see the second characteristic of a wise son, and that is a wise son keeps the Word of God. Go to Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 7. Proverbs 28 and verse number 7. A wise son keeps the Word of God. Proverbs 28, verse 7, Whoso keepeth the law is a wise son, but he that is a companion of riotous men shameth his father. That word keepeth, in the Hebrew, it's this idea to keep, to observe, to guard with fidelity. Man, when the words are spoken, I'm going to listen, and I'm going to keep as being important what my father has said. A wise son does what God says to do. He or, he or she will be a, a blessed person. James chapter 1, verse 22 through 25 says, Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway, forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty, that's the word of God, and continueth therein, he be not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. 
When you get into the Word of God, when you hear the preaching of God's Word, Folks, and you get in and you study the Word of God and God speaks to you through His Word and, and He says, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to live. This is how I want you to think. Okay, God, I'm going to do what you say. God says, I'm gonna, you're going to be blessed in your deeds. 1 John 2, 17, And the world passeth away, the Bible says, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. He or she who does the will of God will stand the storms of life. Turn with me to Matthew chapter number 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Boy, there's a lot of storms out there, aren't there? Boy, there's a lot of storms that really try the world. There's a lot of storms that try the things, uh, the things of the Christian. And here in Matthew chapter 7, and look at verse number 20, uh, 24. He says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, Jesus speaking, and do with them. A lot of people, they forget that part. All I got to do is go to church and hear. I'm just going to come in, I'm going to listen. Folks, can I tell you something? The, the test of whether you've really heard is whether you go out and you apply what you've heard. If you just hear and you say, Well, that was a good message, you go out and you never apply what you hear, can I tell you something? You're just deceiving yourself. God says, here's something. I've got some food. I've got some, I've got some things that you need to help you to grow. And every time you come in, you say, God, you, you ought to say, God, teach me some things. Teach me some things that will help me in my Christian life. He says, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blowed. And the beat, uh, the beat upon the house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone uh, that heareth these sayings of mine, notice, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew. It did for both, didn't it? The wise and the foolish. And beat upon the house. And it fell, the foolish man's house fell. Why? And great was the fall of it. Why, why did his house fall? Because he heard, but he didn't do. Folks, if you don't apply God's word to your life, you're a foolish person. If you do, you're a wise person. Obedience to God's word, though, will sometimes require sacrifice. Obedience to God's word will sometimes require sacrifice. Philippians 1.29 says, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. A lot of people, when they get saved, they believe on Jesus Christ. I'm saved now. That's the end. You know, I, I, you know I'm glad I'm saved. I got my, I'm going to heaven. I've got my eternal life insurance. Now I can live the way I want to live. No, 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 that's not how it works. That's what Philippians 1.29 is saying. It's not just enough to believe on him. Sometimes there's going to be suffering because you're a Christian. Pierre Bartlett was a gunner in Fort Montvelleron during the Prussian siege of Paris. One day he was standing by his gun and General, uh, General Noel, the commander, came up and he was using his binoculars and he looked and there was a river flowing by this town. 
And the general said to Pierre, he said, you see that river over there? And Pierre said, yeah, I see it. He says, you see that little shanty that's over there in the kind of the thick of the, the trees over there? You see that little bit? Pierre, he started to get a little nervous. He says, yeah, I see that over there. He says, well, it's been reported to us that there's some Prussian uh, soldiers over there. He says, I want you to take your gun and I want you to aim right for that little place right over there. And he says, I want you to shoot it. Pierre leveled his gun at that little house that was over there and he fired the gun. And the general said, good shot, good shot. The general looked over at Pierre and a tear was coming down his face. The general looked at him. He says, man, what's the matter with you? Why are you crying? He said, sir, that little house over there was my house. And everything I had in it was there in that house. Hey, it was hard for him to do what he was commanded to do. Folks, may I share with you sometimes when the Lord commands for you to do some things, it's going to be difficult, but we still need to obey the Lord. I always remember when I think about that, about Ezekiel. God came to Ezekiel one day as prophet, and he said, now Ezekiel, he said, I want you to do something tomorrow. He said, tomorrow I'm going to take away the desire of your heart. You say, well, pastor, what is that? Is that... Was it a chariot? Was it a house? Well, what was it? He says, God says, I'm, I'm, I want you to take away the desire. I'm going to take you, the desire away of your heart tomorrow. And he says, and you're not, I don't want you to cry. And as you read through there in Ezekiel, it says, and the morrow came and the Lord took his wife. That was his, the desire of his heart. You mean he loved his wife more than the Lord? No. But she was precious to him. And God says, I'm going to use you as an example, Ezekiel, to these people. Trouble's going to come. Don't you cry, because you know what? It's because of your, because of your sinfulness that that's why the trial's coming. It's because of, of your, not you're not walking with me. God told Ezekiel, don't cry. That would have been a tough one. And living for God and doing what God says sometimes requires sacrifice. It's not always easy to do what the Lord commands, but we will re be rewarded someday. Look with me to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter number 19, verse number 27. Jesus has just been talking about a rich man. Uh, he says it, it was easier for a, rich, uh, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved. Because rich men depend upon their riches. They don't need God. So we come down then to verse number 27. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? 
And Peter, this is Peter, the apostle Peter. Hey, we forgot, we forgive, you know, we've we laid aside everything for you. You know, our boats and all that type, but we live, we've left it all aside to follow you. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you that ye which have followed me in the, in the, uh, the generation when the Son of Man shall sit upon the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And every one that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. Folks, may I share with you that when we lay aside the things of this world, God's going to reward one day. You know, God calls some people to be a missionary to foreign fields. Oh, mom and dad want them to stay at home. Uh, you know, the comforts of home. You don't have the hair dryers in some of these places. Yeah, some people spend their whole life there. Well, what are we going to get? Well, not much sometimes on this world. Remember the story of a missionary who was on a ship coming. He'd, been a, he'd retired from being on the mission field. He just so happened to be the same ship that Theodore uh, uh, Teddy Roosevelt had come on, was on, and he'd come back from one of his great hunting trips. And as it docked into port, I mean, there was bands and there was all sorts of people to, uh, to welcome home the president and on a hunting trip. And the missionary, he sat there and there was nobody to welcome him home. And you know, he started feeling kind of sorry for himself. And he said, you know what, Lord, this is not right. This is not fair. You know, here I've, been, I've given my life for you and I've given my all for you, serving on the mission field and, and working in some difficult situations. And I've, I've given my all for you and there's no one here to greet me. There's no one to welcome me home. And this, this, this president comes home from hunting some animals and people are, are cheering him on and, and telling him how great he is because of that. And he, it was, he said, you know, it was like he heard a still small voice. And he said, son... You're not home yet. Folks, one day, we're we'll receive the reward. We're not home yet. I want you to notice very quickly the third point, and with this we close. A wise son is he who is a hard worker while there's still time. Look at Proverbs chapter 10, verse 5. A wise son is... Who is a, hard, uh, a wise son or daughter is one who is a hard worker while there's still time. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse number 5. It says, He that gathereth in summer is a wise son, but he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causeth shame. We have two, oppo uh, two opposites here in this verse. The wise son is one who works during the time of harvest while the unwise sleeps and, and wastes the time. The, the wise son invests his or her time in gathering the harvest before the winter sets in and there are no crops to be had. The unwise squander the, uh, away their time in relaxation during the harvest time and, and are unprepared for the winter time when there's no more harvest left. You know, there's a parallel to what Jesus said 
In John 4.35, he said to his disciples, Say ye not, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look unto the fields, for they are white already under harvest. The wise child of God is the one that sees the harvest of souls for Jesus is right now. To win people to Jesus Christ is right now. 2 Corinthians 6, 2. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. For some, their time is short. People, you and I, that we know, loved ones that we know, their time is short. James 4, 14 says this. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then it vanisheth away. In Psalm 90, verse 9, For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. A tale that is told? You know, sometimes when a person tells a tale, or tells a tale it's, it's here and it's gone. That's exactly how our life, our time is here. Brother Randy had shared with me yesterday that his uncle had passed away. Praise the Lord, Brother Randy took the time to share with his Uncle Buck about the gospel. He'd been sharing different things to try to give him the gospel and, and share the gospel with him. Praise the Lord, today is in eternity with the Lord. The wise, wise child of God sees the importance of getting the gospel to the lost. They realize that time is short and it mu they must be about their father's business. Hebrew, uh, Ephesians 5.16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. That word redeeming means to buy up, to make wise and sacred use of every opportunity for doing good. Hey, that gospel tract that you pass out this week may be the last gospel tract that that person will ever hear or ever read. That word of the gospel that you share this week might be the very last that somebody will hear. They'll step off into eternity. As we conclude, let me ask you today, are you making the Heavenly Father glad because you are living as a wise child of His? Are you listening to His instruction? Are you walking in obedience to His Word? Are you busy during, uh, do, uh, during the harvest time to win souls for Jesus? Say, Pastor, I, don't, I can't win people to Jesus. Oh, yes, you can. Quit copping out. You don't know how to do it? Grab some of those tracks. Sit down and say, hey, can I share this with you? And sit down, open the track to, with a person who says, yes, you can show that, and start reading it for them. And you can answer their questions if you don't know. I love these, these gospel tracks. We've got them back there. Life's most important question. It's visual. It helps them to see it and to understand the different questions. If you were to die today and meet God, if he were to ask you, why should I let you into his heaven, what would you say? Are you uncertain? Here's some good news. Five important facts tell you the answer of that question. Fact one, heaven, eternal life, is a free gift based on God's grace. God's grace, they have a little picture of, of a package. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Heaven cannot be earned or deserved, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Grace is what God wants to give you, but which you do not deserve. Amazing, but true. 
God wants you to go to heaven. Eternal life is a free gift. Two, or fact 2 tells us why many do not have this gift. Fact 2, man in himself does not deserve the gift of heaven. Why? Man is a sinner by nature and by choice. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Man is incapable of doing good according to God's standards. There's none that doeth good, no, not one, Romans 3.12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned, Romans 5.12. Man cannot save himself, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, Titus 3.5. The result of this sin is found in fact three. Fact three, there is a penalty for sin. God is love. He doesn't want to judge you. The Lord is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, 2 Peter 3, 9. But God is also just. He must judge sin. He will by no means clear the guilty, Exodus 34, 7. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. Physical death and also spiritual death, separation from God. Man's basic needs are forgiveness, eternal life, Peace with God. People try religion, good deeds, materialism, acclaim, etc., to satisfy their needs, but these do not solve the problem of sin. God is love. He has the solution. Fact four tells us how God has the only solution. Fact four is Jesus Christ is your only way to heaven. Who is he? The infinite God-man. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, John 1, 1 through 14. What he did, he paid the penalty for our sins and purchased a place uh, in heaven for us. God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that, we might, that he might bring us to God. 1 Peter 3.18 Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John 14.6 What must I do? Fact 5. Personal faith in Christ is the answer. Faith is not merely believing a fact. Thou believest that there is